You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Good morning. My name is Phil Nelson. I'm the lead pastor here. So grateful. So grateful to be among family members and brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so grateful to be living in the day that we are. Though the world is dark and getting further and further away from God, the people who remain steadfast and faithful and they keep their eyes on Jesus are going to see his glory. You want to see his glory? Amen. So we're in a series of worship. Last month, we looked at why we worship. This month of July, we've been looking at the definition of worship. The Hebrew word means shaka, is shaka, and it means to bow. I, I, I want to do a plug as well. If you have not uh, found on Spotify or SoundCloud or iTunes or um, the iMusic podcast, our Real Life Conversations podcast. I really want to encourage you to do that, especially if you don't listen to any other sermons or you don't have much um, uh, truth being spoken around you during the week. This is just another resource for you to go deeper in your walk and to challenge you to stay steadfast in this world as a Christ follower. This last week, we um, uh, episode five, we recorded it but will whet your, your palate or your appetite. Uh, many of you know Spencer Robinette, dear friend of ours, and uh, he was on staff here many years ago, and uh, uh, he's on our podcast, and it's going to air next Friday. Um, but there are four podcasts before that that talk about worship and Christian topics. And uh, worship is what we were made for. And so it's so important if that's what we're made for. It's important to know what it means. And so shaka, the Hebrew word means to bow. And it can be physical, but it's also a heart posture. It's internal. Especially now that we're in a new covenant where Jesus' grace is made known and God's presence is available to each and every one of us. It's not bound behind a veil. And so we bow our hearts, excuse me, I'm tripping on my shoelace. We bow our hearts in adoration, in surrender and reverence. And the Greek word for worship is proskeneo, which actually means reverence, adoration. And it's the most intimate word for worship, which means to kiss as a dog licks his master's hand. And so as we've gotten those two pillars of definitions of worship, I kind of, Lord willing, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, and with your minds open to what God wants to teach, I want to fill those two pillars with a definition that comes from what we do in worship. How do we bow? How do we kiss and adore? And it's found in scripture 
by in many situations and many stories and passages in the Bible, it's found by what is missing in worship. As you know, the Israelites in Old Testament, they were missing it all the time. They got it. They turned their hearts towards God. They started sacrificing in a way that pleased God. And they started aligning their hearts and obeying. And then all of a sudden, circumstances would steer and fear would come in and the world would come in and allegiance to other gods and idols would come in. And all of a sudden, they're back at square one where they're missing it over and over. And my question is, as we go through this today, could we possibly, could we possibly here at ECC, could you possibly as a spirit-filled believer, follower of Jesus, could we be missing it? Could we possibly be going through the motions with the heart of intent, good intentions but we possibly could be missing it. I want us to keep that question at the forefront of our hearts and our minds because I believe that God wants to reveal himself, his truth, and his design for worship to each one of you. For those of you who are listening and watching online, this goes for you as well. Wherever you may be listening to this, maybe on vacation or coming home from vacation, God wants you not to miss it. Because when we miss it in worship, we miss what God has for us. And I want to start with just two quotes that really get to the heart of worship before we get into what's missing. So let's look at this first one. It's, it's, it's from a, a, an article from a website called I Worship. I Worship. And it goes like this. A similar reasoning motivates our enemy, meaning a reasoning of worship, of what draws us to God, that we were made for relationship with God. That's worship responding to his greatness. It says the enemy has a similar reason for his motivation. Why does Satan work so hard at at deceiving you and me in Jesus? Why? In every generation, why does he continually unleash legions of false teachers in the church? The answer, because that's where the worship is, not a building. The big C church, when believers gather together, the devil hates to see God honored, glorified, exalted. Why? When God is exalted and worshiped with honor and adoration, God reveals himself to his people. Satan does not want God to be revealed to you because when God is revealed to us, we are refined and transformed into his image. That's the whole purpose of worship. And when we worship and adore God in the way that he has designed, Satan knows that it's our most powerful, one of our most powerful weapons. 
Another powerful, if not the most powerful weapon is the word of God. And the devil trembles when God's people worship. Worship, uh, excuse me, he will do anything. Satan will do anything to stop this. In fact, he would really like to steal the affection for himself. The former Dr. Robert Weber, I love his heart because he was the founder of this institute for worship studies. And he says this about worship. Worship stands, do we have it? Worship stands at the center of the church's life and mission. Church. That's why we at ECC, our mission is to fully connect everyone to Christ, his community of believers to worship together, and his cause to worship and share and spread the gospel. And we do it through two main avenues. One, worship. Can you believe that? And number two is discipleship, growing more like Jesus and helping others to do the same. Worship stands at the center of the church's life and mission. It's the summit towards which the church moves and the source from which all of its ministries flow. It's the most important action that the church is about. Worship informs the church's teaching. Do you know that? The word of God does, of course. But our adoration, our allegiance, our devotion, and who we submit to gives shape to its evangelistic mission to the world and compels the church towards social action. Worship is the context in which the true fellowship of Christ's body is realized, communion, and where those who participate can find real healing. The single most important thing the church can do is worship. A vibrant worship life will glorify God, edify the faithful, and engage the seeker. Could Satan possibly be trying to steal your life from worshiping? And how in the world do we stop Satan from keeping us from worshiping? It's a very complicated answer. You worship. Don't let him stop you. You keep on keeping on because he is worthy and it's what you are made for. So I'd like to open the word of God to Mark 11. 
And we're going to have it on the screen, but I would really love, if you have a Bible with you or there's a Bible near you or you have your phone and you're able to um, get to your Bible app, turn to the Gospel of Mark. It's the second book of the New Testament. Mark, chapter 11. This is going to be our foundation for understanding what's missing in order to understand the full picture of worship. And then in August, we're going to look up how do we worship? How do we put our feet on the ground and worship individually and corporately? Mark 11. Mark 11. You there? I'm not. Keep going. Mark 11, verse 12. Okay. Jesus is in Jerusalem, coming back. They had the triumphal entry where he rode on a donkey as a prophecy of him being Messiah. He's coming into Jerusalem to set his kingdom up and the Everyone who believes in him as Messiah thinks that he's going to overturn Rome and come with his throne, but instead, for the joy set before him, he endures the cross. He had a different plan. Same destination to rule and reign over all, but different approach, different road. And so now he's with his disciples after the triumphal, Uh, entry. And on the following day, verse 12, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. What that means is when you see a fig tree in leaf, that is a sign that it is ready for fruit. It is supposed to be providing what it says or designed to provide. When you see the signs of a fig tree ripe and ready for harvest, that means you should be able to expect fruit, right? Okay. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When Jesus came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. There's something in there. There wasn't the season, but yet Jesus went to look. And he said to the fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Kind of harsh. Poor fig tree. And his disciples heard it and they were confused, just as the readers are a little complex. Why in the world did Mark add this to the gospel. Well, it stops there, and then it says they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. Stop there, and could we go to a blank screen, Lori? Stop there. The temple, as we have been talking uh, through the worship series, but also through different sermons that I've done about setting up the tabernacle from the day of Moses. There was a reason why God ordained and commanded the temple to be set up the way he commanded it to be set. 
Number one, he is God and does what he wills. Number two, he longs to be with his people. That is a key theme throughout all scripture. He longs to be with you. But because of sin, he is separated from us. A holy God cannot unite with sin. Number three, because he wanted to be with us, and because he's holy and he's God, he set up a place to where his presence can dwell and be with his people, yet not in his people because they were defiled with sin. And so he set this temple, and there were rituals and instructions in pursuing the presence of God. This is just not Old Testament Shakespeare that we are not to look and really study. Because here's the thing, so many things like the temple, like the Ten Commandments, like the different things that we see in Scripture are a model to us of something not not physical, but something spiritual. And so I would encourage you to go through Exodus again and see all of the instructions for worship in the tabernacle. You had to enter into the gates. You had to bring sacrifice. If you didn't have something that cost you something, you could not enter. Then you met a Levite, which was a priest. No one else could be a priest but a Levite, which was uh, the offspring of Aaron, Moses' brother. So then, after the priest inspects your sacrifice to make sure that it's without blemish, that it is perfect as an animal can be, they slice and dice it. Because the shedding of blood is always required for the forgiveness of sin. Can I say it again? The shedding of blood from the beginning of the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned for till forevermore, our sin requires an offering, a sacrifice. And so the priest would make sure that that sacrifice was legit and acceptable to God, place it on a burning altar to burn it to ash. And God even said it was a pleasing aroma to God. So sin, when sin was birthed, death came into the picture. So then after it was a burnt offering, the priest then, the people would no longer go any further because they couldn't go any further without dying to the presence of God. So a priest that was ordained to minister unto God for the people, are you following me? Would wash in like a glorified birdbath. And they would wash the blood off of themselves. And in a reflection of the birdbath, the brazen altar and then the laver, the brazen laver, they would, ref- they would see the reflection of themselves to understand that this sacrifice was for them and for the people. Then they would go into the inner courts and still do ministry to where then there was a veil that separated God in the Holy of Holies. I say all of this to take us right on back to Mark 11. You can put the scripture on back. 
Because Jesus knows the temple was designed and created for God to meet with his people. And for his people to do what we see in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, If my people will humble themselves, that's bow, worship, adore, revere. If my people will worship me, seek my face and pray and turn, say turn, from your wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and I will come and heal their land. That was the temple. That was what was set up for the temple, was relationship with God, as close as you could get to God. And it was getting real and acknowledging your sin before an all-powerful God. It was a place of holiness. It's where God's presence dwelt. It was a place of reverence, fear, and awe. And Jesus walks in, and he sees a marketplace, people bartering, people bickering and arguing over a cost of animals, some animals maybe even blemished, scarred, but that's okay, we're making a buck. Because people during Passover would come from all over. And they wouldn't bring their own sacrifice for a 10 to 20 day, if not three month trip to Jerusalem. So they would come to the temple to purchase a sacrifice. And Jesus walks in to something this temple was never designed for. Capitalism. Selfish gain. Loud noise. Busyness, distraction, and self-ambition. They were missing it. Could we possibly be missing it in our church today? Where there's busyness, profit, program, distraction, loud noise, emptiness, busyness, and so on. And this is one, if not the most, situations where Jesus was beyond angry. He was in rage. And he entered the temple and he began to drive out, force, force out. This is a divine bouncer, Jesus. He is kicking them out. He is throwing things. Birds, I can just see sacrifices just flying everywhere. I mean, it was chaos. And Jesus kicked them out, those who were selling things and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables where the money and all the the business transactions were happening. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Why? If we understand that the outer courts, that was where you were to carry your sacrifice. And now they're in the inner courts, 
And they're carrying stuff where they shouldn't be carrying. They should be empty-handed before God. And they're just busy and just not carrying the presence of God. They're carrying something else. That's another clue to what is missing. Verse 17. And he was teaching them, saying to them, Is it not written, my house, I can just hear him shouting to the top of his lungs, shall be called a house of prayer. You look at that Greek word, it's also translated into act of worship, seeking the face of God, adoring and revering and submitting and surrendering. And Jesus says, where is it? My father's house shall be a house of prayer. But you have made it into a den of robbers. And obviously the chief priests and the scribes who had tolerated and allowed this crud to happen were angered because they were exposed in their guilt. And they were set forth to crucify this Jesus. So we're not done there yet. I don't know why I closed my Bible. Mark 11. Stick with me, guys. Remember that fig tree? Well, it comes back up again. I call it the fig sandwich. It's because in this situation, Jesus encounters the fig tree goes and clears out the temple, and then the next other side of the bread, he encounters the fig tree again. Could these fig encounters have anything to do with the encounter in the temple? It sure does. Absolutely. This is not just a parable. This is literal. Let's look. So sorry. As they passed by in the morning, so about 24 hours have passed, they saw the fig tree withered. (laughs) 24 hours. Completely withered. Away to its roots. So it's basically being killed from the root. You know, we had this plant in the front of our house, we paid quite a bit of money for it. And all of a sudden, within a year, it literally withered and died. And so I, I, I didn't know I was being smart, but I guess I was just following my intuition. I decided to clip and prune the dead branches all the way to the surface, but some people actually just take out the root But because I didn't curse the root or kill the root, guess what came back this spring? And it's more beautiful and it's going to be stronger than it was before. And so the root, Jesus is getting to something. He's getting to the root of worship. He curses it at the root. 
And so it's withered away at its roots, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And then Jesus begins to talk about faith. And we're going to stop there for the fig sandwich. Because the temple, in the middle of that sandwich, Jesus is trying to get us to understand the design of worship in God's temple. So the first point that I'd like to hammer home today in our message titled, What's Missing, is this, the place designed for worship. The temple was designed for godly worship. It was a pathway of pursuing God, a pathway of pursuing God through God's system. Worship must always be to the design of God's system. We have a problem in today's fallen world. We now choose, design, and develop the system. God says it's not yours to change, redefine, or set up. There is one system, and it's God's. You're either obedient to that system or you're disobedient to that system. There is no way around it. There is no other option. Just like the kid's song, can't can't go through it, can't go over it, can't go around it. It is truth. It's God's design. Are you following me? I want to reiterate that the Levites, they were called holy priests. What's holy again? Anyone listening? What does holy mean? set apart for God's purposes. They were the priests that ministered to God and offered sacrifices to God for the forgiveness of the people's sins. And we also know because of scripture in Hebrew that this was a temporary fix. It did not completely forgive and cover. We only know that when Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice and laid down his life, now our sins can be removed as far as the east is from the west. But these temporal animals and goats would have to continually be sacrificed because they did not permanently fulfill God's system. So what went wrong? We see it through All of the scriptures, what went wrong? Well, they were no longer revering the holy God in the temple. He no longer was the focus of their worship. The fear and awe, and let me just really quick because we're pressed for time, but fear doesn't mean that you're trembling before an abusive father who is going to kick you and throw you against the wall if you sin. That is not fear. That's called haunt at King's Island. That's scaring you to death. This fear is understanding the authority, the glory, the worth, the majesty of God. That literally, he holds and sustains your whole being. Can you do me a favor? Take a deep breath in right now. And breathe it out. God ordained that. God enabled you to do that. We have a reverent fear 
before God. That was missing. And it was replaced with a marketplace. Profit. Gain. Not cost anymore. Not sacrifice anymore. Not forgiveness of sin. But of profit and wealth. It was replaced with noise. Not silence and quiet and stillness before the Lord. It was replaced with clamor and busyness and distraction. Here's the thing. You say, well, where are they going to get a sacrifice? Don't they have to purchase it at the temple? No, they don't. Because if you know church history, people could buy their sacrificial animals and change their money on the Mount of Olives right before you enter into Jerusalem. They chose not to. They chose to be lazy. They chose to go to where the hub was. It was called the court of Gentiles. And it used to be a place for praying, seeking the face of God, bowing before the Lord, adoring and surrendering and a form of intimacy before God. Does it sound like a definition of another word? Worship. This was a place of prayer and worship to God. Not no more. Their focus was no longer on their sin, but it was a place of praying and paying. Praying, not the P-R-A-Y, but the P-R-E-Y. That's why Jesus was filled with righteous anger at the priest who were praying upon the vulnerable. In the name of God. So their focus was no longer their sin, needing a sacrifice for cleansing before a holy, righteous, eternal, sovereign, unchanging God. Does this sound familiar in any other passages we read? Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Guess what? That was our key scripture last week. And it goes like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Actually, you know what? Forgive me. I was getting ahead of myself. It's not Romans 12. It's Romans 1. Romans 1, if you have a Bible, turn there. We'll get to Romans 12. Romans 1, 21. Keep me focused, Lord. It's talking about the people of God. It's talking about what Jesus is encountering in the temple. Yes, they knew God, but they didn't worship him as God. Nor did they even give thanks to God. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Sound familiar to this story? As a result, their minds became darkened and confused. They were missing something. And it was called fear and reverence that we see in Second Chronicles. I want to go there. I'm throwing a lot of scripture out. But we need to see this point of fear and reverence that was missing and Jesus confronted it. As soon as Solomon, David's son who built the temple of God, fire came down after he prayed from heaven. Literal fire. 
consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled, say filled, filled, consumed, immersed the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord. Why? Because it was filled with the glory of the Lord. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down. What do we know that word to be? Worship. They worshiped God on their faces. Why? With reverent fear and awe. What would happen right now if this stage became a consuming fire and God lit it from a pillar of fire? Some of us would probably run out. What would we do when we see God move in that way? It's, it was a catalyst for worship as people saw the glory of God. When we encounter the glory of God, our impulse is worship. Don't turn there, but in Isaiah... Isaiah encounters the Lord, the prophet Isaiah, and sees the glory of the Lord. And he says, who am I, a man of unclean lips? I mean, he's beside himself. He's trembling in fear and awe because the God of glory is right in front of him. And in order to experience God's presence, he had to have his lips clean from the angels, a coal of refining fire. That's just an example When all the people saw the fire come down, verse three, on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, he is good, and God's steadfast love endures forever. The place for worship has always been designed to be a holy, pure, spotless and righteous temple for the Lord. Number two, we need to look at this instance with the fig tree and ask ourselves what this has to do with worship. The fig tree is a symbolism of something missing. You look back in Old Testament and this encounter in Mark is not the only time a fig tree is brought up when it has to do with religion and doing something right or wrong. Whether you have fruit and you're rewarded or whether you don't have fruit and you're punished. Look at Jeremiah 8.13, it's on the screen. I will surely consume them. Whoa. Remember, God is a consuming fire. There will be no more harvest of figs and grapes. Their fruit trees will die, and whatever I gave them soon will be gone. I, the Lord, have spoken. And as you look at scholars and commentaries on these passages... 
you will see that a fig tree is an illustration of religion. It looks like it has it all together. It looks like it follows its design, but as you get close enough, you see that there is no fruit. Am I making sense? There's no fruit. You will know the tree by its fruit. And the roots of the tree determine that fruit. Jesus is getting a message. He knows that he's going to the temple. He probably knew exactly what he was going to encounter. And he sandwiched the temple in between two encounters of a fig tree. Religion. Looking like something, but not having its fruit. We see this in the New Testament when it says they had the form of godliness, but no power. Meaning they looked like Christians. They acted like Christians. They talked like Christians, but had no source of fruit. This is huge. And what Mark is doing here is intentionally sandwiching the temple event where Jesus cursed the temple, flipped the tables, cursed the fig tree, and now the fruit of that cursing is shown. And often throughout the Old Testament, God compared the Israelites to an empty fig tree bearing no fruit. You see, God is grieved when we look like followers. We intend to be followers. We give everything we think we have, and yet we miss it because we are not producing fruit. It seemed like they had all the components. They had the crowd. They had the place. They had the utensils and tools for worship, but they missed it. And so I ask us, is it really possible that now we have all the tools and resources for worship? We have the building. And now because of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, every person who puts their faith in the Lord, is Lord Jesus Christ, is saved and indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? You are now the temple of the living God. You, you are filled with the, all the fullness of God. Could we possibly in 2023 still be missing it? We have the music, we have the lyrics, we have the people, we have the word, we have the message, we have the coffee, that's, must, that's a needed must there. We have comfy seats, we have a place for children, we have an offering online now and in person. We have all the resources for worship, we got the people, are we still Missing it because God commands us 
that his house of worship is to be a house of worship of reverence, fear, and awe, which then causes us to respond accordingly. So what does that look like in responding accordingly? Let's look at point number three. Forgive me, I'm going long. What is required in our worship? Number one, fear, reverence, and awe. It's required, friends. If you're not walking in it, you're missing it. You see in Philippians 2, not on the screen, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What it's talking about is this word called sanctification, looking more and more like Jesus as we die and bury ourselves more and more. But it's saying we must grow in Christ in fear and trembling. Number two, that they were missing was repentance. Excuse me, obedience. Sit down there. Obedience. Out of fear and reverence, the children of God must obey. This is why scripture says, to obey God is better than sacrifice. That's why David, after he sinned, and he says, cleanse me, O God, and renew me, and, and make me white as snow, and then he says, the burnt sacrifices that the Lord delights in is not animals burnt. It is a heart that is sacrificed, a heart that is broken and reverent before God. This is where God is pleased. And how do we know a heart is reverence? And a heart that fears God, you do what God commands you to do. Not out of just forcefulness, but out of adoration and reverence. Don't believe me, let's look at a couple passages. Ezra 10, while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the Lord, the house of God, a very great assembly was gathered before Israel for the people wept bitterly. They obeyed God because they feared God. And number three, they repented and confessed of their sin. That's number three. And I'm going quickly just so we can wrap things up. Jeremiah 7, 24, God punishes his people. He says, they did not obey or incline their ear to me, but they walked in their own counsels and stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backwards, not forward. When you do not obey, James 4 says, when you know what you're supposed to do or what you're not supposed to do and you don't do it, that is sin. We are to be fig trees filled with the Holy Spirit and known by our fruit. Our fruit is obedience. That's why you look into the American culture, friends, and you can't tell the difference. It's like my dad. I'm sorry for the relation, but this is what I think of. My dad in Vietnam, he said the problem in the war was you didn't know who the bad guys and the good guys were because they looked all the same. And when the Christians are supposed to be light in the world by obeying with reverent fear and awe and worshiping God with confession and repentance being cleansed and filled with the Holy Spirit, you look into the world and you can't find the Christians apart from those who don't believe. 
why we have missed fear, reverence, and awe. And because we've missed fear, reverence, and awe, we have missed obedience. And because we've missed obedience, we must, we must repent and confess of our sins. Hello? So I want to end with this as the team comes up. Be on the screen. It's James chapter 4. May we not miss fear and reverence. Friends, why is this not seen in worship anymore? The physical must represent the internal. But the internal should influence the physical. We bow before our almighty father, maker of heaven and earth. We bow before Jesus Christ who took the form of us and took our place so that we would not have to suffer the separation and death for eternity from God. Like we are in his presence, it's holy ground. And yet we can hardly get our hands out of our pockets to praise God. Something's got to shift. Something's got to shift and it's called reverence and fear before God. You show me somebody who reveres God with every breath they have, and you will see someone who obeys his every word. And someone who is imperfect and flawed and broken, but they acknowledge their sin, they confess their sin, and they repent before God. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.